2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading at verse 12. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 12. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The title of the message this morning, Learning to Live for the Eternal. Learning to Live for the Eternal. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to open your, the Word of God, the revelation of yourself to us. And I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would quiet our hearts before you, open our minds and hearts that we might receive thy truth. I pray, Father, that powers of the wicked one would be defeated. I pray that you would have your will and way in each heart and life here this morning. That the Lord Jesus Christ, through his precious blood, would be glorified, lifted up, and we'd be drawn to him. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, challenge us, and encourage us. Help us to understand the truth, to know it, to apply it our everyday life, for our good and for thy glory, knowing that whatsoever things you do for us is for our good. So, Lord, just have your will and your way, and may you be glorified. Help me as I preach and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you in the word of God, we have a continuous testimony of great men and women, who demonstrated the power and glory of God in their lives. But as you examine these testimonies, what you'll find is that they had a day of reckoning with God prior to their greatness. In other words, it was a time when they were brought face to face, if you will, with a holy God and judge themselves as sinful, wicked, guilty of transgressing God's law of their Creator and God and submitted their lives to Him. For example, Job. We know that God blessed Job more abundantly after his trials than He did before. But Job preface that with, I abhor myself and repent 
in dust and ashes. Of course, Moses, of course, we have Abraham. Abraham was tried and tested, but he had to leave Ur of the Chaldees, leave behind what was dearest to him, his homeland, his, his family, and, and moved and go to a place that God said, I'll tell thee thereof when you get there. Jacob wrestled with the Lord. But he would not let, lo, let go of the Lord, the angel Lord, until the Lord blessed him. But you know, that experience left Jacob handicapped, physically. It cost him. Of course, Moses. And we could go on and on about examples after examples of great men and women who demonstrated the power of glory of God in their lives, but first had a day of reckoning with God. And this is kind of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in, in instructing us in this day and time which we're living. Of course, this letter was written to the church at Corinth in learning to live for the eternal. It requires several things. First of all, a self-crucifixion. If you notice in verse 12, so then death worketh in us. Now that sounds very negative, I know. Death worketh in us, but life in you. You know, this is what Jesus described as losing your life for his sake. Losing your life for his sake. He referred to it also as take up your cross daily and follow me. The word worketh here, <clears throat> as it says, death worketh in us. The word worketh uh, means operative of a person in whose mind a thing shows itself active. So this is an active process in a person's life. Death in them. You know, the word, the word is used in other places, uh, Galatians 5, 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh, or that is operative, by love. Philippians 2, 13, he says, for it is God which worketh, again, operates in you both to will and to do, and there's the word again, worketh, to do, in you know, other words, it's operative, of His good pleasure. So God begins to work in your life, bringing a self-crucifixion or denying of self and a surrendering of, to God to do His good pleasure. You see, here's kind of the reality of this. The more we learn and gain in the knowledge of God in our relationship with God, this is the conclusion you'll come to. The more sinful you will see yourself. You know, as, as you get closer to God, you, the more you're going to realize, God is holy. I'm not. I'm wicked. I'm rebellious. In His sight. You know, we can look around at each other and we say, well, you know, I guess I'm not so bad. We can always find somebody that we think is not as righteous as I am. But when we start comparing ourselves to God, it's a different story. 
We begin to understand his, the character of God and His holiness. We begin to see ourselves like Isaiah when he said in chapter 6, Woe is me! You see, in the first five chapters, it was woe is them! He was speaking to the nation of Israel and he was like, woe is them! But in chapter 6, he saw God and he said, woe is me! When Job came face to face with God in chapter 42, he said, I abhor myself. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, when we come to this place, it, it prompts us to cast off the works, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You know, that is the meaning of crucifying the flesh or dying to self. And Paul here is speaking of it in, in a present tense. You know, so then death worketh. It's a continual operative process. Death worketh in us, but life in you. A continual dying of self. And, but he talks about a life in you. It, it creates in us an intensity of faith. Notice in verse six, uh, 13, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So this, this self-crucifixion, this death that worketh in us, but it works life in you, he says of the, to the Corinthians, it creates in us an intense faith. It, it results in a sanctified life, walking in fellowship with God. It empowers us in our witness. It makes us shine as lights in the world. It manifests the glory of God through us. When we die to self, it get, you know, really the idea here is we're emptying ourselves of ourselves so that God can take up all that space. You know why we're not filled with the Spirit? Because we're too full of ourselves. You can only put so much water in a 12-ounce glass. And you can have it half full or clear full of water. And the same is true of us. There's only so much of us and, 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 and the question is, how much of us does God have? Or how much of us does He have control of? And as we die to self, we give more of ourselves to God. And so there's this intensity of faith, of belief in God, that manifests God through us. He says we're having the same spirit of faith. The word spirit here means the power of perceiving or grasping divine and eternal things upon which the Spirit of God exerts its influence, which enables us to comprehend, to understand, to, to see spiritual truth and eternal things. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that God desires to do in our, in our lives is to stretch us. That's what you're doing with your children when you have them in school. You're stretching their minds. Increasing their mind abilities. And God desires to work in us. He that hath begun a good work in us will perform it to the day of Christ. He is continually desiring to stretch us. And you know, Jesus' earthly ministry was continually stretching the faith of his disciples, of his followers. For example, in John chapter 11... We have an example of this. In John chapter 11, of course, Lazarus has died. And they sent, Mary and Martha sent to him and said, 
Lazarus is sick, you know, and they asked him to come, and he tarried four days. Or two days. In the same place. And then he said, let's go. And, and so, in John, and, 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 of course, the death of Lazarus, of course, is a time of sorrow, a time of heartache for Mary and Martha and the disciples. They were, they were all friends with Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. And so this is a real time of sorrow. And in verse 11, it says, And these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. In other words, he's died. He's dead. But I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. However, howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought of it, he had spoken of them, of taking of rest and sleeping. Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Notice this. I am glad for your sakes I was not there. Now doesn't that sound callous? I mean, if Jesus had gone before he had died, he would not have, or may not have died. I mean, after all, he had power to heal the sick, to make the lame walk. He could have healed them. But he said, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there. To the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. See, Jesus stayed two days and let Lazarus die so that he could Stretch the faith of his disciples and Mary and Martha. Look at verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, this is Martha, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And what he's saying is, look Martha, I'm the one that gives life. And I can make him live today. I can make him live today. But Martha said, no, well, I know in the resurrection, you know, when, when, when the rapture of the resurrection, first resurrection, then he'll rise. No, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now, if it had been anyone other than Jesus, you would say, this man is kind of callous. I mean, their brothers died. But Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus was constantly stretching the faith. Look at drop down to verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead four days. See, she still didn't get it that he could bring him back to life right now. She didn't believe it. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. You know, the word believe here in our text, we have the same spirit of faith, according as is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore we speak. It means, means to trust, to put confidence in, to be emphatically devoted. And therefore, he's not silent. Therefore, I speak. 
You know, I, I, I be, because I believe this, I'm going to talk about it. You know, people, people talk about what they believe or what they know to be true. You know, if we really believe that God can save a soul from hell and has saved our souls from hell, wouldn't it cause us to talk to other people about it? How can we be silent if we really believe it? Or if we really believe that lost souls do go to a burning hell for all eternity? You know, Isaiah speaks of the watchman. Heard about one this morning. Isaiah 56.10 says his watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs that cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are all greedy dogs which cannot have or never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They look, they all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. You know, that's what, uh, 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 uh Isaiah was talking about the false prophets of his day. And, the, and, and, you know, the, God is still giving that indictment to, to false preachers in our day. They're like dumb dogs. You know, we have a dog. And if, and if, if, if somebody comes around, that, you know, the dog doesn't know, or maybe you does even know. We usually don't hear the doorbell first. We usually hear the dog first. Given warning, danger. And he said his prophets, these false prophets are like dumb dogs. They just sleep, they don't bark. But he said, Isaiah said, the Lord said to him, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. You see, Paul said, I believe and therefore have I spoken. You know, this, 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 it, death in us brings about an intense faith in us, in the Lord, and a declaration of declaring the truth. And declaring a glorious expectation. Notice in verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also, us up also, by Jesus and shall pre- present us with you. Now, would you notice that, that phrase, knowing that. You see, the fruit of dying to self, to crucifying your flesh, repenting of sin and unbelief, is to have hope, is to have an expectation. It is to know. Or the word knowing means well known. It's an active word. It's an active word. And again, we act upon what we know, what we believe is true. Uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 7, the Bible says that by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark, the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah, knowing what God said, not seeing beforehand what God said was going to come to pass, but knowing it, acted upon it. He had hope. He had an expectation that what God said was going to come to pass. Abraham, by faith, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whether he went. 
No, he didn't know the end of his destination. He just knew one thing. God told me to go. And God promised me an inheritance. He knew the promise. He did not know the place. But he acted upon what he knew. What he knew. In verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. You know, the children of Israel knew one thing. God said to do, march around this city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, you march around it seven times, and then you shout, blow with the trumpets, and the walls will fall down flat. Makes no sense whatsoever. But they knew one thing. God said to do it. And they knew God had the power to bring it to pass. See, when we allow God to work in our lives, it brings about a glorious expectation. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, With which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In 1 John chapter 3, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. In other words, I know. Now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, knowing creates an assurance, a confidence of our place as having been accepted as a child of God through faith in the shed blood of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of of sins according to his riches of his grace. See, when we take God at his word, we allow God to work on our lives, to conform us into his image, to, to cast off the works of darkness and, and, and take him at his word. It, it creates in us a glorious expectation, a hope. Again, all based upon the promises of God. Well, you know, there's a fourth thing here. We also see there is self-forgetfulness. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. All things are for what? He said, your sakes. Now, think about that phrase that Paul uses there, all things. He says, death worketh in us, but life in you. And he says, for all things are for your sakes. So all the hardships, everything that Paul endures are for your sakes. You might say for your sakes. 
You know, your sakes means toward you. In other words, with you in mind. You see, the bottom line is this. The Christian life is not about taking care of number one. It's not about me, myself, and I. You know, the most miserable person, people in the world are those people that worship at me, myself, and I. You know, you owe it to yourself. You need to, you're seeking your own benefit, your own promotion, your own popularity. You know, it is about living so others will see the glory of God and the magnificence of God in you. Again, notice verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The word redound means to make abundant or excellent, to cause one to excel. So what we want to excel here is thanksgiving to the glory of God by others. Philippians 2, verses 2 through 9, the Bible says, Fulfill you my joy that be like-minded, having the same love, be being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let esteem each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became beaten unto death, even the death of the cross, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. You might say, <coughs> in Jesus' life, he had to, you know, he had, as an example to others, he had that day of reckoning where he made himself a nobody. Though he was God the Son, he made himself a nobody. He took upon him the form of man, made himself in the likeness of man, became sin for man. He denied himself for us. And Paul says, let this mind be in you. 1 Corinthians 10.33, he said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit. Now, he wasn't a man pleaser. But what he was seeking was the benefits of God to men. He didn't seek his own profit. But the profit of many that they may be saved. See, Paul was willing to endure hardship, suffering so the gospel could be given to the Gentiles who were afar off. You know, he could have stayed at Antioch. I mean, he was on the pastoral staff there. He had a comfortable position. He and Barnabas. But the Lord said, separate me Saul and Barnabas, for the work wherein to have called them. And so Paul was willing to endure the hardships for the gospel's sake. He was willing to suffer so the gospel would go to the Gentiles. You know, are we willing to suffer the loss of convenience, home, family, to see the gospel delivered to places without a gospel witness? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfortable positions, family life, comfortable surroundings, for the sake of the lost souls in other parts of the world who are dying and going to hell? See, Paul and Barnabas haphazarded their lives 
for the gospel's sake. They look beyond themselves. You know, so often we want to do it as long as it don't cost us. One conservative commentator said, quote, on the religious side, our Christianity has either become an adjunct of capitalism in the form of a so-called prosperity gospel, or it has devolved into what one philosopher, Schopenhauer, described as banal optimism. Christian movies and rock songs empty of suffering and therefore of reality describe a world in which Jesus magically transforms the tragic life of humankind into a gigantic smiley face. That's not what Bible Christianity is. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of denying self. Yeah, we want the gospel to go to Russia or Greenland. Mm, Who wants to go to Greenland? Are we willing to take it? Or are we willing to sacrifice so that others can go? Yeah, the Lord's saying, who will go? Who will deny himself? Who will take up the cross? You know, we need to forget about ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about what I want. Hebrews 11.24 By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses refused to be somebody. He refused to exalt himself over his own people and become their master. We could have. He He was in line to be the next Pharaoh. He could have become their master. Their slave master. And been the one driving the whips, making them work and build the cities in Egypt. He could have had all that. Worldly glory and power. The Bible says he refused it. And chose rather to suffer affliction. To die to himself. His own ambitions. His own desires. His own will for his own life take his hands off his own life and let God have his will in his life. See, are we willing to forget self? We want to notice the fourth thing here we see is the source of our strength. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, we notice that in verse 12, death worketh in us, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. In verses 8 through 10 that we looked at last week, you know, Paul lived and worked facing tremendous difficulties and pressures. Yet here in verse 16, he says, we faint not. 
To faint not means to be weary in anything, to lose courage, to drop your flag. You know, we would say to dip your colors, to give up. You know, he did not swerve from or change or forsake his purpose. His purpose was to preach the gospel. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. And though his body was perishing, it was decaying, it was being used up. It was being used up. His strength was dissipating. He was be- it was being used up for the gospel's sake. He says, I'm being used up physically, but I'm not fainting. I'm not fainting. I'm not giving up. The word perish here means to consume a bodily vigor and strength. You might say, well, I don't want to be used up. Okay. You know, you are using up your strength for something. It may be just, you know, to live the American dream. But you know, you're using up your strength or something. And I mean, those people that sit week after week on the couch and seek somebody else to take care of them are wasting away and using up, are wasting away their strength. You're going to use. You're going to use. Be used up some way or the other. It's just how do you want to be used up? You, know, you can. You can. You can use up your strength gaining the things of this world, and have nothing to show for your life. Everything you have using up your life in will be left behind. It's going to perish. Or you can use up your strength of life living for God. Paul said, I, my outward man, yeah, the outward man's perishing. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. See, you can live for life for self-satisfaction and never find it. Or you can be renewed day by day. That renewed there means to make new, to give new strength and vigor given to you, to be changed into a new kind of life. You know, the body is aging by adversity and hardship and labor, but if we walk with the Lord day by day, day by day, not month by month, not week by week, not year by year, it's day by day, we are given life and vigor by the promises of God, by communing with God through prayer and walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit as He directs our lives. You know, and we can come under pressures, this is what Paul's talking about here, we can come under pressures of life and still be renewed and strengthened in our souls. You know, this is not the idea of adopting some escapism mentality that, that some do, dwelling on the glories of the future. No, we must live and face today being renewed by the Lord today. Story is told of a man in Pasadena, California, was brought to court for failure to pro- for a failure to provide charge. It was brought out in testimony that he believed the end of the world was in the 
very immediate future. Therefore, it was unnecessary for him to educate his nine-year-old son. That's escapism. You know, the promises of the future are not justification to shirk our responsibilities of today. We're living work today. We are to live and work in light that the Lord is coming. But we have no guarantee that it's tomorrow or six weeks or six months or six years or 20 years. We have to face today's distresses with today's promises. Day by day. You know, the song says, day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure. Mingling toil with peace and rest. You see, it's a day by day. The source of our strength is to be renewed day by day. Ephesians 4 says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul said in Romans 12, that we're, we're to, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that they may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we need to have our minds saturated with the word and the promises of God and the communion of God through prayer and, and obedience to the Holy Spirit, applying the word of God to our lives, that we, we, that, uh, that we be renewed in our strength. Day by day. You see, this is, this is God's training program. Look at verses 17 and 18. I'm about finished. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, if you read verses 8 and 10, and then you say, our light affliction. I don't know if I, would ha- if I could say that, understanding the afflictions Paul endured. But that's what the Spirit of God led him to write. Our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, the world is filled with distresses, uh, catastrophes, illness, etc., none of which originate from God. All this stuff is here because of man's sin. Death entered the world by sin. By man's sin. Job 5, 7. Yet man is born in trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 14, 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of your years are years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off when we fly away. You know, Jesus spoke of this to the disciples. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation. That's what the world is because of man's sin. All this here because of man's sin. However, 
through the, the new birth and allowing God to work in our life, we can, we, God uses those tribulations to mold us. To renew us. Romans 5, 3-5 says this, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh. Here's that operative word again. Worketh patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. See, God also, by the way, God knows your tribulations. When he wrote to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.9, he says, I know thy works and thy tribulations. God knows your tribulations. And God uses these difficulties in life to prove to us our need of him, to reveal to us the truth of his word. I know, we don't like it. I don't like it. But would you rather have God leave you alone and you live as you please and then in the lake of fire? Because a man left to himself just as a child left himself would bring his mother to shame. Tribulation worketh Patience. James says, temptations, trial your faith, worketh, patience. See, God uses these things to mold us, to make us into his image. What's it called? What do you call it to train a horse to ride? What are you doing to it, Ashley? What do you call it? Breaking it. Breaking it? You're breaking that horse? Oh, that sounds terrible. Now, does the horse like it? The horses like that? No, they don't. Do they resist it? Yeah, they do. But let me ask you something. Does it make the horse useful? Is the horse any good if it's not broken? It's worthless. Basically worthless. You see, what God is trying to do to us in tribulations is to break us. Break us so that we can be useful. See, these light afflictions bring about a result in patience, hope, peace, experience, and the love of God should have brought in our heart. See, we have to understand and look at things from God's perspective. God wants us to come to the place where we look at people of the world through his eyes as sheep scattered abroad having no shepherd. And see, until we are broken and, and 
and let go of ourselves and forget ourselves, we ain't going to be all that concerned about everybody else out there. You know, that's the problem in the world. Everybody's seeking their own things. See, the Lord is working in your life to rid you and I of ourselves, that we might be filled with his spirit, that we might learn to live for the eternal, that we might learn to live to do the work of the Lord. You know, life is, life is, whether you're working at the city or raising birds or whatever you, whatever place God has put you in life, life is an opportunity to serve him. It's an opportunity to serve him. And that's what he wants to bring us to, to see that life is an opportunity to serve him. To lay up treasure for moth and rust cannot corrupt nor thieves break in the steel. If you lay up treasure here, you're going to leave it all behind. Like I said, there's many great men. The Bible records for us who demonstrated the power and glory of God in their lives. However, these men and women first had a day of reckoning with God. Will they realize who they were, sinners in the sight of a holy and righteous God, and submitted or repented and surrendered their lives to the Lord to be used as He saw fit? That's what Paul means when he says, for me to live is Christ. It's no longer I, but Christ liveth in me. And life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Learning to live for the eternal. Who are you living for? Who are you living for? Are you living for the Lord or are you living for yourself? Or maybe it's somebody else. Or maybe it's for money. Who are you living for? Do you know the Lord as your Lord and Savior? Can't live for him if you don't know him. 